0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Well, thanks again, Van, for leading us in worship and I'm just so thankful that as we now start getting ready into the Christmas season, you see the decor has changed a little bit, and some busy folks were working here on that this week. And again, just so thankful for faithful and willing volunteers in so many different areas of church life. And you can take your Bibles, please take them to first and turn to First Peter chapter four. First Peter four. Bibles, pens, kids. Trust you have your kid sheets ready to go and that you have some notepad uh, as parents, as adults to write down some of the references and perhaps some of the quotes that we will be sharing as well as some of the truths that I'm trusting that you will download and uh, not just write on paper but start to live that we would all live these ways in these ways. And, and, and just a reminder, at the very end of our time here today, at the end of the message, we will go into worship and then after that have a brief family chat. Just some uh, family news, some things to bring you up to speed on to get you praying and get you busy in some areas. And so please um, make sure that you continue to watch even after our closing song as there's an important chat that we have for you. I wonder how many of us would admit to being part of a very exclusive club. Maybe it's not that exclusive as, as I talk about it, but, but perhaps it's called the 2-3 club or the 1-2 club or or maybe the 3-4 club or, and you're thinking, what are you talking about? Like, this is weird. And, and what I'm talking about is being awake in the middle of the night. And, and maybe it's between the hours of 2 to 3 uh, a.m. or 1 to 2 or maybe it's... From 3 to 6 a.m. Who knows what it is uh, for you? But where you are awake in the night, perhaps um, tossing and turning. And, and maybe it's for just a short period of time. Maybe for some of you it's a number of hours. And, and, and maybe some of you wake up in the middle of the night because the baby is crying and needs some attention. And so, ladies, you just tell your husbands it will be okay and you pat him on the back and soon he's sleeping again and everyone can get back to sleep. Well, that's not really what I'm necessarily talking about. I'm talking about the tossing, the turning, the confusion um, that comes when perhaps and, and not able to sleep for maybe an hour or two because of the restlessness, the anxiousness. Because perhaps there's you're angry, you're confused, filled with many concerns, and you just don't know what to do. And and if that describes you, well, you're not alone. I'm part of this exclusive clubs uh, on, on 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 various nights throughout the week, and I often find myself in the middle of the night as, as I'm thinking, tossing, wrestling trying to pray trying to worship god trying to trust but oftentimes it's hard and oftentimes even your thinking isn't always the clearest at that time but eventually i do drift off to sleep which i'm thankful for well i had that happen this past week where i was up in the middle of the night i think i was part of the 2 3 club and I was up at 2 up around 2am and and slowly eventually i fell back to sleep and and I woke up before my alarm went off, and I woke up with this old hymn, this old hymn that I grew up in church, it, and it was going through my head, and I, I just couldn't get it out of my head, and I had to look up all the verses and, and, and sing it. I, I sung, sung it to myself. I won't sing it to you now, but here are the lyrics just, just for the first verse up on the screen at this time. There's a battle raging in the heavenly places, sin and death and sickness with Satan leading on. With the hosts of earth and hell arrayed against us, how in all our weakness shall the fight be won? And those songs, that that there's a battle raging, just going through my head, and then it goes into that chorus, and that awesome chorus that is, Jesus giveth us the victory. He who overcame on Calvary overcomes again in you and me. Hallelujah! Jesus gives the victory. You know, the truths of that song it gave me a joy and a confidence and a strength waking up that morning. And, and actually, even today, as I was coming to the church office, just, again, that song going through my head, that Jesus giveth us the victory. Yeah, there's a battle raging. There's this all going on. But Jesus, there's victory in Jesus Christ. And I've been praying that that today would be our prayer. And just one more line from that old hymn. Fear not, I am with you. I will never fail you. Trusting in my promise, you shall conquer too. What promise? What hope? Now that's just, that's from a hymn. That's from an old hymn. And and there's good truth there. But how much more can we gain solid truth that we can build our lives on, build our hopes on, and even be able to focus and think about even in the middle of the night through the word of God. And God's word, God's truth holds up even more than an old hymn. And, and, and my prayer has been, oh God, would you guide us? Would you teach us? Would you encourage? Would you instruct us in your word today? Would you correct us and propel us into a season of, of personal victory and, and a season of fruitfulness as a church, even in these unknown times, in these uncertain times? And give us a joy and a strength and a confidence that is found in you, Jesus, not in our earthly circumstances, because we can easily get dragged down so quickly. And God, would you give us power? Would you give us victory? And would you propel us into this very strange Christmas season that we're facing? Well, 1 Peter was written to anxious Christians, experiencing discouraging and ongoing circumstances with the storm clouds of persecution building even more so on the horizon. And last week, we we moved into chapter 4, and that's where we're going to pick it up again today. And we only made it through the half of the first verse in, in, verse, chapter, in verse 1. And we saw last week, the first truth that we saw in this is that we, we got to get ready to suffer. Get ready to suffer. Suffering is going to happen. And, and we saw last week, suffering is universal. It is something that every one of us faces. It's universal, and and we go through it. And and, and regardless of who you are and what you've done and how much money and how much success you have, it's universal. But then we also see that Jesus is our example when it comes to suffering. Jesus suffered for us. He lived. He died. He suffered. And then he reigned. he, He rose victorious on that Easter Sunday And if we are in Christ, if you are you and I are in Christ, victory is guaranteed. And last week we saw that we are then to prepare for the suffering. Jesus is an example, it's universal, but we are also to prepare mentally, we are to prepare spiritually, we are to prepare communally. And, and we are to prepare uh, in that way for suffering. And so we need to be battle ready. We need to get going. We need to, to know that, that the battle is real, but we can prepare for it. And with Jesus, there is the victory that we can experience. Now, today we're going to look at three more truths. Three more truths for us to download, so to speak, to understand, to take and apply into our lives so then it then is lived out through our thinking, lived out during the week. And I trust that, that as we do this, and at the end of this message, and as we live this out this next week, we would experience a hope and a power and victory that we are not walking in even at this time. And it comes by the word of God and by his spirit at work in us. So I'm going to read these six verses that we're going to work through here today. First Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered... And with, with respect to, to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the flood of debauchery that they, and they end up maligning you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. May God bless his word as it has just been proclaimed and now as we work through this. Here's the second truth. I encourage you to write this down. First of all, it was that get ready to suffer. And the second one here is now determined to be done with sin. Determine today, I wanna be done with sin, I wanna walk away from sin. We're not going to do this perfectly, but may we be progressing in this today. Look at what it says in the last part of verse 1. It says, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, this might open up some interesting theological issues, just this last part of verse 1. Especially if you don't read it in context. If you just kind of um, read it quickly and don't understand everything that that Peter is saying here. Because upon first read where it says, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So one can can read that and think, hmm, so if I suffer, if I suffer in the flesh, that means I'm alive. If I suffer in the flesh, hmm, I will cease, stop sinning. I'll get to this point where I'll no longer sin. Is this kind of suggesting um, something called sinless perfection? Which is a view that some people hold to this day, that, that one can progress so well spiritually that you'll come to a certain point that you'll just no longer sin anymore. That's, that's called sinless perfection, but that is inconsistent with the whole of God's word. And that's not even what Peter is saying here. And, and we know that, that, that this isn't true because even in James chapter 3, verse 2, it says, For we all stumble in many ways. That's a reality. We all st- stumble and struggle. And, and that's James, the, the stepbrother to Jesus who wrote that. And then in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And, and, and that's just a, a very important reality that, that, that we will continue to struggle with sin. Take the Apostle Paul, for example. Near the end of his life in the book of Romans, he, he is writing about his battle and his struggle, and he said, like, oh, wretched man that I am! Here's this godly man, missionary, church planter, Bible writer, and yet he is still open about the struggle and the battle that he faces. And you see, as believers in Christ, we're still going to sin. And I encourage you to write this down. Positionally, in Christ, we have been made holy. The great exchange. We talked about that last week. Where we receive Christ, where Christ's righteousness is exchanged, it is given to us, and he takes our unrighteousness. That's what took place at the cross. And progressively, we are being transformed. So positionally, we are holy, but then progressively, if we're in Christ and we're walking in, in obedience to him, we're walking in sanctification, we are progressively being transformed from one degree of glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 talks about from one degree of glory to the next. Growing in Christ-likeness, becoming more and more like Christ. But this, this takes work on our behalf, determination, discipline, intention for this to take place. It's not just going to oh, happen automatically that we're just going to become super holy. No, it's like riding a bike uphill. We need to continue to keep riding, otherwise you start falling backwards. And, and yet we are positionally holy, progressively we're being transformed. Now, Peter is not suggesting at all here sinless perfection. You see, the only kind of suffering, now listen, this is kind of interesting, the only kind of suffering that leads to sinless perfection is us dying and going to heaven. And what an upgrade that would be, wouldn't it be? What a day that will be, when all struggle, when all sin, when all temptation, it's done, done, done. But until that day, we're still going to struggle. We're still going to battle. Look at verse 2 now. It says, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions but for the will of God. What Peter is saying here, as followers of Christ, we're determining to be done with sin. As followers of Christ, we want to choose to live for Christ. We want to live for God. Choosing to live God's will Choosing to live God's way. Choosing to say no to sin and yes to Christ. And as we do that, it is proving that Christ is in us. It is an evidence that that we have been changed. Because ultimately, the power doesn't even come from ourselves. It is from the Holy Spirit who's indwelt within us. And it's proving that we are choosing Christ and ultimately... When we choose Christ, it also means here, we're going to choose to suffer. Because ultimately, to follow Christ means we will suffer. Remember, we talked about it last week. Whoever wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, will face suffering, will face difficulty. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And so, to choose to follow Christ will ultimately mean that we are choosing the path to suffer. It's knowing full well that living for Christ will produce a rub with those around us. It will produce a rub against our own flesh at times. It will produce a rub with those friends, family members, co-workers when we choose to live for Christ and do what God's word calls us to do rather than what the world wants us to do. And it can even happen, uh, puts that rub in the spiritual realm as well. The enemy doesn't like it when we choose to follow Christ. There is going to be that battle. And even our own flesh will want to give in to temptation. Indulge in the passions of this world, the passions of our flesh. Everyone else is doing it. We want to participate. We want to be involved in it. Or at other times, we want to retaliate when we're not treated fairly. We want to fight back. We want to get even. It means at times that that when we say no to the peer pressure around us, whether that's at school, some of you kids are facing that in school, some of you students... With your friends, it will happen with family members, with business partners. When there's pressure to go against God's word, that's oftentimes when the battle starts. And it can and it will cost. It will lead to ridicule. It will lead to to some kind of suffering at times. Feeling like you are a loser. It may feel like you're going without. You're missing out on all the fun. It may mean you miss out on certain financial rewards or blessing because you will not do certain business practices because it is not right. It means that in some ways we may suffer when it comes to the things of this world. We may not have all the toys, have all the possessions. We may not have the the career and the promotions that we would want or would hope for. This world is not our home. This is what we're living for. But understand... It's understanding that Christ is the greatest treasure. He is the greatest treasure than what anything this world can offer. This world is empty. It's fleeting in its promises and its pursuits. Now look at verse 3 and 4. It says, For a time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Now, the, Peter, the people that Peter is addressing didn't used to be followers of Christ. They didn't have a long history of knowing Christ because the New Testament church was just decades old at this time. And the culture in Asia Minor, Minor was very pagan. In fact, most of the Christians... I mean, you just didn't have Christian families with a long heritage of the faith. Because either they were from a Jewish background and, and, and followed the Old Old Testament law, but now that Christ has come, the new covenant has come, everything has changed. And so you have a uh, uh, pagan, very evil culture, you have all these new Christians, and you have a very sensual world, and, and this is what the people were saved out of in these different areas in, in Asia Minor. And what Peter describes here in this culture is like is a culture that is living without restraints. It's basically their culture in that day, very similar to today to today. Whatever you want to do, go for it. That's where we're living today. I mean, just whether we see it in the media, we see it in Hollywood, we see it in people's lives, we see it in relationships. Just even, I think it was last Sunday night, we were watching something on TV, and all of a sudden Charlotte said, hey, go back and rewind that commercial. And, and so we went and, and just hit, hit the backwards button a couple of times and saw a Volkswagen commercial. And they were uh, promoting a new SUV that uh, it, it's for non-traditional families, I guess, is how they're kind of building the commercial. And they even showed in the commercial a polygamous relationship. And I went online, and yeah, they are introducing promoting saying hey polygamy is okay and it was just awful couldn't believe that, that 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 was so front and center we just live in a very sensual very depraved just 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 incredible society that is just going downhill and so peter here again very similar today when you look at this list he's giving a laundry list of sins that people were involved in and he says don't go back to these things be done with them Look at it. he says sensuality and passions. This is the intense desire that can control a person. This is like living without any sort of moral restraint. If it feels good or you think it might feel good, it must be right, go for it. And it's just, after all, it's right in your own eyes. So, so, so just indulge yourself. He goes on and says drunkenness, being controlled by substances. As believers in Christ, we are to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And not by some sort of substance, whether that be alcohol, whether that be weed, or any other sort of substance that starts to affect our, 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 our nature. Goes on and says, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. This is just basically talking about lives just given over to whatever passion and whatever want that you so desire. And especially sexual immorality. This describes living with a lewdness, with no moral restraint, just living for the moment, doing whatever you want to do. N- now, now Peter isn't saying this in a way, in the way that this sentence is con- constructed in the original Greek. He's not saying this in this little nerdy, kind of timid way and saying, uh, "Yeah, excuse me, um, maybe maybe you should just stop sinning now and 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 just you know don't go back to your old ways. You know that'd just be really cool if you do that." No, the way that this is written is a blunt statement. You have Peter saying, you have spent enough time living in sin. Don't go back. Stop it. Don't even think about indulging in these things anymore. It's kind of like what King Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11. When he says, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. And Peter's saying, don't do that. I mean, you just think about it. You ever see a dog do that? I mean, that's awful. And then what do the dogs like to come and do? Oh, they like to come and lick their master afterwards, right? You know, it's just like, oh, it's so disgusting. It's so bad. But Peter's saying, don't go back. Don't go back to these old ways. And yes, he goes on to say, some will be surprised. They can't understand. Why have you changed? Why can't you do the fun things? You used to be so fun. You used to be so crazy. And now you're, you won't do it. How, how can, what, what's happened? What's changed? And, and some will appreciate hearing and understand and respect the change. But there will be those that don't. You will be mocked by some. You will be shunned. You will be rejected. You will be maligned. But here's the thing. And the sad thing is I've seen this happen way too many times. And for some people, the pressure, the pull towards the world started to become too strong. People who have professed faith in Jesus Christ, getting lured back into sin. Rather than living for the glory of Christ, they start living for the glory of themselves or living for the passions of their flesh. They have this great come to Jesus moment, and, and, and perhaps they have even a time, season, maybe even years of closeness, of intimacy with the Lord, learning, growing, becoming more and more Christ-like. But but over time, and and for each person, this can be so different, but over time, kind of just, kind of soften, become a little more lukewarm, become a little more distanced with the Lord and get lured back into areas of sin convincing themselves that, that it's satisfying and it's not that big of a deal or, or sometimes it's I, I'm going back into this lifestyle so I can hopefully win some of the, my friends or some of these people to Christ. But before long, what ends up happening is, is, is it's like a part-time faith where you have one foot in the world and one foot in Christ or one foot in the church. And, and, and believe me, that is the most miserable way, most powerless way you could ever live. Now, this doesn't mean that we isolate ourselves from culture, from from friends, from family, but we are to live distinctively different within the culture. People are to be able to see that we have a hope in Christ, that we don't need these things in order to have a good time, that, that we can live differently. We don't have to live under these passions and these pursuits any longer. And in in these relationships, and with that attitude, we are prepared to not just show our faith, but to talk about Jesus Christ. And it's important that we do that, but we mustn't get lured back into it. Now, one of the things our families enjoyed doing over the years is going to Rough Rider games. When we used to live outside of Edmonton, we would try to get to every Rough Rider game. We were only about half an hour away from the stadium or so. And so it was great to be able to go and get all dressed up. And then moving to BC, we even made a trek to BC Place a few times a year. Here's one. This was a number of years ago, shortly after we moved here. And as you see, all decked out and dressed up and and, and cheering like crazy. And one thing about us, when we go to a football game, we stay till the end. No matter how bad, and oftentimes, sadly for us, it just seems, being a Rough Rider fan, it was often a painful end. But we would stay to the end no matter what. And, And whenever fans from whatever team would start leaving early, I would often yell, and sometimes I had some other family members, but then Nate participated in this with me. I don't think the girls ever did. We'd start yelling, "Part-time fans, part-time fans!" as they would be exiting, and they kind of look, and then Nate, in his little high-pitched voice, his little high-pitched voice would yell. And full-time losers. So it would be part-time fan, full-time loser. And, and and so it would be kind of this comical kind of thing going on. And oftentimes, because he was young and cute and had this high-pitched voice, he never, uh, no one ever came and punched him or anything. But sometimes we were given a, a uh, nice little wave with a finger. But, you know, anyways, we just kind of, some of the silly fun we enjoyed having. But you know what? Part-time Christians lose big time. And when we are living... W- partly for Christ, partly for the world, partly for ourselves, you lose. And and when we live in areas of sin and disobedience to God's word, when we try to live in the world or like the world in different ways, it's impossible to grow, to maintain a relationship with the Lord. There's no power, there's no joy, there's no victory, it's just struggle, strife, and difficulty. And sadly, you find that when you choose to sin, you also choose to suffer. There's always a consequence to our sin. Miserable, powerless, empty. And like Peter is saying, be done with sin, you people. Christ has redeemed you. He has saved you. Be done with sin. Don't even think about going back to those old ways. Be done with sin being the thing that defines you, that controls you, that that keeps you captive, that is destroying you. Instead, Live for Christ. Focus on him and live for him alone. So how can we enjoy and indulge and pursue the very thing that Christ died for? He died for those sins. Why would we want to live and pursue lifestyles that, that, would, that he died for? Why would I willfully be disobedient to continue to sin when it was those sins that killed my Jesus? We just don't want to do that. Oh, that we would be more overwhelmed with his love and with his grace, his mercy. With a desire to please him and to live for him and overwe- then be overwhelmed with temptation and to indulge our fleshly desires. When we see and grasp and, and, and grow in his love for us. When we understand the price that he paid for our sins so we could be set free. That he set us free from the power and the penalty of sin. We're going to still battle the presence of sin in our lives. But we have victory. We have victory in Jesus that's available. And how amazing it is. If we are in Christ. We then have his Holy Spirit abiding in us. Giving us not only the desire to want to live for him. But also the power through his spirit to experience that victory. But it depends what are we feeding. Are we feeding the flesh or are we feeding the spirit? You see, we all need resolve moments in our lives. We need to make some resolves, and I trust that even today would be a day that we make some resolves. You see, you make a resolve, a commitment when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you're you're truly in Christ, you've come to that resolve moment when you've turned from your sin and you've trusted in Jesus fully for the forgiveness of your sin, believing by faith, that what he did on the cross was for you, escaping the, the wrath and the punishment from God that was coming your way as a result of your sin. And it was that resolved moment, I choose to follow you, Jesus, I choose to believe by faith what you have done for me, and we accept that, and we, it's that resolved moment, I'm going to live for you, Jesus. Another resolved moment in the life of the Christian is on your baptism day. And, and baptism is a command for all of God's children. It is something we are to be obedient in, and if you haven't been obedient in that and you're a follower of Christ, you need to follow. You need to be obedient to him. And it's that resolved moment. It's that resolved moment as as friends, as families, your church family is gathered around, and it's that that declaration, I'm following Jesus. No turning back. This is what he's done in my life, and I desire to live and and, and identify as a follower of Jesus Christ. Other resolved moments that we have in our lives Take place on a wedding day where we commit, where we make a covenant to honor, to live, to, to, to love, to, to never separate, to, to not divorce from your spouse. And we make that resolve moment before God and before witnesses. And those are important things and commitments that we make. Other times, we have other resolve moments that, that come throughout our lives. And maybe you need one today where you're sick and tired of being sick and tired in your sin. You've been dancing around one foot in the world, one foot with Christ. You've allowed sin to creep back in and it's that resolved moment say, I choose to be done with sin today. Perhaps you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's a resolved moment to say, I choose to follow Christ today. I choose to make him my Lord and Savior. Pour out your heart to him today, wherever you are. Whether you need to just stop this right now, and you need to get alone with God, or later on today that you get alone with God, and you have that resolved moment. If it means getting on your face before him, and surrender, and say, oh God, I just, just give myself anew and afresh to you. It's coming to that point and saying, enough, I'm done with sin. I'm done with living my way. And I choose Christ daily. It's choosing Christ daily. Oh, would that happen the moment we get up in the morning, throughout the day, I'm done with sin. When temptation, when frustration that leads us to want to sin starts to say, I'm done with that. Christ died for that. And I choose Christ daily. I choose to follow him. As Joshua told the Israelites, choose this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord, Joshua 24. Would that be our cry? Would that be our resolve daily? It's determining to be done with sin. And yes, knowing that full well to live for Christ, to live full on for Christ will mean you will be laughed at, maligned, ridiculed, pointed out by your school teacher or your professor. Not everyone will be happy about the decision you make, but God will live for the approval and the praise of God, not of man. And some people will love and respect you for the decisions that you make and also some of them will come perhaps in time to also come into a relationship with Jesus Christ but others will desert you, disassociate, ridicule and malign. May even cost a relationship. May cost a business deal, a job, a career. But you will enjoy and know the favor and the blessing of God. And you will know his provision. Because when you stand for God, he stands for and with you. Be strong. It won't be easy. But we resolve to stand for him, determined to be done with sin. Thirdly, remember that God will bring judgment to all. We must remember this. Look at verse 5. It says, But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Our family over the years enjoys watching the Amazing races. teams race around the world and, and they get to experience all the different cultures and, and challenges. And we just enjoy being able to see all the different locations, all the destinations that, that these teams race around to and, and the different things they get to experience. And, and the, the host of the show, Phil... Um, he, 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 as he explains different legs of the journey, you will hear him saying, if you're familiar with the, the show, you will hear him saying basically in, in every episode, caution, you turn ahead, or caution, roadblock ahead. And, uh, and basically he's telling the teams, hey, you better get ready, you better pay attention because whatever's coming down the road, you want to be prepared for it. Well, here in the same way, Peter is saying, caution, Remember, judgment is coming. Be ready for it. How we live here on earth and the days that we have here, even today, how you live today will have an impact on where and how you will spend your eternity. Every day matters. And we need to understand that one day justice will be served. That for all of the wrong all of the atrocities, all of the things that have happened in this world that are unjust, that God will have the final say. That vengeance belongs to him. And this is a sobering warning, not only that Peter is is saying about those who are living sinful lives, this is a a serious warning for all of us. But it's extremely serious if you don't know, know Christ personally. If you have never surrendered your life to him, God's word says that you will spend eternity in hell. That is sobering, that is devastating, and it's real. Turn to Jesus today. Surrender to him as your Lord and Savior right where you're at. You can give your heart to him even today. But God's word says that we will all stand before him in judgment one day. And the verses that you see on the screen, uh, I encourage you to write them down, screenshot them, you can read and you can study them this week. These are verses that that give us insight into the various judgments that will be taking place. There will be a judgment for believers, there will be a judgment for non-believers. For the believer in Christ, it won't be a judgment to determine our eternal destiny, because that has already been secured when we came to faith in Jesus Christ, but we will be judged for how we lived here on this earth. How we lived on this earth will determine the degree of enjoyment and blessing that we will experience in heaven. Every day matters. Every day matters for the believer. How we have sacrificed how we were generous with our time, our treasures, our talents for the building of God's kingdom. It will be exposed, were we more about living for our kingdom or for God's kingdom? It will be revealed, did we fight sin or did we just grow comfortable with sin? Did we harbor or hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness? That will be exposed. It will be exposed if we the secret sins, the excuses that, we've, that we come up with to hide in our sin. It won't be just our outward actions that will be exposed and revealed. It will be the inner motives and the thoughts of the heart. It will all be exposed, all laid bare before God. And we will be judged accordingly. Even more challenging for me, me recently, this one has continues to remind me, especially this week in studying this, this passage is how I am thinking and responding to the government these days in light of what God's word says. How am I obeying God's word when it comes to praying for, respecting, honoring those that God has placed in authority? Yeah, but, but, but I can't agree with those in authority. You have to understand that, that, that as God's servants were writing, even as Peter was writing this, Nero was a terrible leader, a terrible dictator, a tyrant. Yet we saw instructions in chapter 2 on how we are to respect those in government authority over us and obey them. How we are to have humble hearts as we seek to honor the Lord. It's hard. It's hard. And that's why we need one another to to, to pray for and to to encourage and challenge us and and, and to navigate this together. You have pastors who are trying to navigate this. I calls this past week. How do we navigate God's word and what's going on in our world? But it's vital that we desire to live with a dependency on God and say, oh, God, would you show us the way? Would we respond with grateful and rightful hearts towards you? And may we live and long to hear not the praise of man, not the accolades that come from doing something great and grandiose for God, but may we live to hear those words from our Heavenly Father, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your rest. Those would be the best words you could ever hear. May we long to hear those words. Living for Christ, it will be difficult. It is difficult. As we face oppositions and trials, and at times it may seem like we're missing out, but not for a second in eternity will you ever have a regret. The only regret we will have in eternity is that we didn't do more for Christ, that we wasted so much of our time, we wasted so much of our energy on small and petty and silly things of this world how we got so wrapped up and so excited and crazy when it came to COVID-19 we'll look at that one day in eternity and say oh got to see what God did and was doing in all of that oh would we have eyes to see in that way folks and then finally the last truth we need to download is that we need to rejoice because there is hope and there is victory in Jesus. Look at verse 6. It says, For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now, again, you read that and you're like, Whoa, what's he saying here? And just to clear up some confusion that may come into the mind in reading this quickly, Peter is not saying, he's not saying, that people who are dead will have the gospel preached to them and perhaps have a second chance to come to faith in Christ and to get to heaven. That's not what he's saying. What he's talking about here, and as you understand um, the the word phrases and and how this is pieced together, he's talking about people who have heard and responded to the gospel here on earth while they were living, and they responded positively, and they live for Christ, and, and that's where it says, though judged in the flesh, that judged in the flesh means they've now died. So even though they've died, and it may appear to the unsaved person, it may even appear to the Christian, listen, they, look at how they lived their life and look at how they died. Where was the victory in that? They ended up dying just like we're all going to die. What's the big deal? We're all going to die. Just as the pagans die, the Christians die. Pagan live for themselves. The, the Christian lived a life of desiring and growing in holiness. The others lived in indulging themselves and it looks like, well, it looks like in the, all, in the end we all die anyways. But Peter is saying, death will not have the final say. The gospel is effective. We have a hope and in life and in death that will outlast and supersede death here on this earth. The moment that we take our last breath here on this earth, we will take our first breath in heaven. And seeing him face to face. I like what the Apostle Paul wrote. He said in Romans 18. He says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Paul Tripp said this. He said, Are you weary with the struggle? Are you weary? with I think we have this on the bottom of the screen. Are you weary with the, weary with the struggle of living in a broken, down world? Remember a brand new world is coming, and you'll struggle no more. Remember what's ahead. Let's remember that Peter was writing to Christians who were suffering. People who were feeling the brunt uh, uh, of suffering and persecution with darkening clouds coming on the horizon in even a greater way for them. And he's giving them this hope that a life-devoted dedicated to God in the midst of difficulties and trials will be worth it. Hope Church, this is the message that this world needs. Those who are confused, who are afraid, who are isolated, who are discouraged, who are angry. Just even driving here today, I heard about the statistics here in British Columbia of people who are considering suicide and the percentage that it has increased from the first wave of COVID-19 to the second wave. People are losing hope. And the hope that we can offer them is Jesus Christ. He is our only hope. He is the one we must trust and the one that we must live for. And this is why we must preach it. This is why we must proclaim it. This is why we must share the good news of Jesus Christ. This Christmas season, it could be our greatest hour to share and to show the love of Christ. That's why we're doing some of these initiatives in these communities. This is why we're going to be encouraging you to invite people to join our online services where they'll hear messages of hope, especially Christmas Eve. I'm already so excited for that. People are hurting and they're hungry and we need to give them Jesus. Massive doses, amounts of Jesus to share the hope that they can find in him. And yet, will we? Will we do it or will we just be consumed with our own lives? It's so easy to become so consumed with everything that is going on. And this past week, I spent time on emails, on phone calls, on text messages, and, 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 and live meetings with some other pastors and church leaders locally and across Canada. And a great concern that is being talked about in all of our churches is the great divide that is happening. Not just out in the world, a great divide that is happening within the church of Jesus Christ. And it's so easy, so easy for all of us, me included, to get so caught up in the theories, in the ideologies, in the science, in the government mandates, in the masks, in the vaccine talk, in the daily statistics, and in the looming larger debt in our nation... And, and, and the other things that, that can be happening beneath the surface that we're not even sure of. And we can become so concerned with that. And I want to read to you from a pastor friend who penned it so well. I could not pen this any better. And it's an encouragement. And allow this pastor to pastor you and to pastor me in this. Here's what he said. I'm not saying our views and our convictions are unimportant. But they mustn't become our obsession. These things have nothing to do with the mission Jesus has given to us in this broken world. Remember, Christian, that we don't belong here. We are citizens of a different country, a better one. Yet you would hardly know it from how much time is wasted fighting on social media about the things of this temporary dying world. Imagine if all of the effort arguing, posting, sharing, commenting about these things was spent in prayer, in witness, in loving our neighbors, and in serving others. The church would be making a far greater impact for the gospel as we invested in the things of eternity. The more broken things get, and let's face it, the world is so broken, the more anticipation we should have For the Savior's return. And the more earnestly we should be working in light of his return. Church, it's time to repent. It's time to get our eyes and our focus on Jesus Christ. On where true hope is found. It's found in him. And I believe that's a good and important word for us all today. Because Jesus Christ is the living hope. And it's what our world needs. And we must share this good news. Knowing there is hope and there is power and there is victory. Even in the midst of suffering. Let's pray together. God, we just would ask that even now that your power would be revealed as we examine our own hearts before you. God, I pray that we would take these words seriously, each one of us. These teaching, the teaching, the instruction, the correction. Would it be used this week to further our love for you, our worship for you? And would we remember that in all things there is power and victory in Jesus Christ? There's power and victory through the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ that purifies our sin. That sets us free. It sets us free so we can worship, so we can really live. So we can experience your joy and fullness, whether we are needing to self-isolate, whether we are at work, whether we are waking up in the middle of the night. Oh God, that that we would be able to cling to you. And would we resolve today, I pray that each one of us would make those personal resolves. To be done with sin. For some to resolve to follow you. For some to, to, to get their feet back into your word and into your ways and to get out of the world. God, would we take your word seriously? Time is short. Eternity is long. We must prepare. And to know that victory is ours in Jesus Christ. And because it's made possible because of the debt that was paid on the cross. And we thank you and we praise you. And now would we worship as your people, declaring your victory, mm-hmm. your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.